That's hundred. good people what's going on hopefully everybody's doing well this evening man i'm super 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 duper excited for this episode um we're having an open challenge pretty much here tonight so this episode is going to be where you know i pretty much take the topics that i've been said i get a lot of dms from you guys pretty much every single week you know right after the show or a few days after the show after you guys watch the recording and i'm always just you know super excited to hear from you guys um, I see a lot of you guys' DMs and, and get a lot of questions, and I'm not always able to answer, you know, kind of the way that I want to through text um, or through a voice message that I might send back to you. So you're definitely going to want to, you know, add some people into into here tonight, share this, like this video. Um, you know, I definitely want you guys to share this out because, you know, this this is your episode. Next week, um, we're, we're, we're getting right back into it, and I'll announce next week's guest at the end of this show, and I know you guys will be excited for who's to come next. So you know, shout out to all the people here at the Come Up Series, man. Um, shout out to Mark Jolin. Wonderful episode last week. We're going to have a good time. Shout out to my boy Vic in the background. I'm going to give some special shout outs um, here uh, to the, to my lady, Kim. Give some special shout outs to, uh, you know, my goddaughter, Ivy, as well as Cammie and Didi. Give special shout outs to them. So, yeah, man, uh, we're going to go ahead and get this thing started. And um, you know what it is, man. So uh, you guys get your notepads out. And um, we're going to go ahead and start off with the first question. So uh, this question was actually sent to me last week um, when I was on the road. You guys know last week I came to you guys live from L.A. Um, and one of the questions that I actually got um, from this queen, she actually sent me a, a DM. I was like, yo, this is actually pretty good. It's what actually inspired me because it was like, yo, I get a lot of DMs and I'm not always able to answer them, you know, efficiently. A lot of text messages. But, you know, here on the show, I want to provide as much value as possible. So she asked me a good question. She said, you know, when when did you really realize that it was time for you to start trading options? Right. This queen, she was new. I think she said she was only about two to three months in. Um, and that was a question that she had. And I said, hey, you know, for me, I didn't trade options for at least about two years. Right. So two years into my process. And the reason why I say that is because there was a lot of things I didn't understand. Right. I didn't understand the overall stock market. I wasn't understanding everything about long term investing. I couldn't understand a lot of different things. And it really takes time. So if you're a new person, um, you know, the vocabulary is always super, super duper important. So I think one thing, you know, as an educator, as a teacher and as someone in this space, one thing that I can do better is really putting you guys onto the vocabulary, because I know there's a lot of times you're probably hearing Jerome Powell speaking. You're like, yo, what did this guy say? You might be listening to me sometimes like, yo, you know, Lawrence is, is really teaching me. But that one word, I just didn't get it right. So I would say that, you know, when it comes down to you trading options and, and I would say that give yourself some time, like options is not the end all be all. You know, I think a lot of people get into trading and investing just kind of like rushing and they're like, yo, I'm trying to make a, you know, a million dollars today and I'm trying to do this. And I think that's really the wrong way to go about it. So, you know, I would definitely say it's, it's OK to be patient with yourself. That's what I would say. You know, number one, um, number two. I would say that I, when I took on options trading, I was able to really understand the technicals uh, a little bit at the time. I was I was really technical versed. 
but I understand the macro feel. So I understand all the things that were at play. I would start off if I'm a beginner's options trader, you know, my first trades, you know, were a hundred bucks, right? So I told you guys here right now, like, you know, super, super important, you know, that you just kind of like scale your way up. Um, and I felt like it'd be good for me to actually go ahead and as well present um, and give you guys some ideas as to, you know, when were kind of some of my first trades that were kind of taken and, you know, how were they actually taken? So I, I wanted to actually kind of go to a couple of things here. I think I did this on the episode uh, previously, but we're going to do this again. So let me go ahead and share my screen with you guys and kind of give you guys some ideas, you know, into your beginning process, uh, you know, of options trading. So let me see here. Uh, let's see. We'll do this. Two seconds here, y'all. All right. So we're going to go ahead and show this right here. Let me come here. Oops. All right. Let me remove. And let me see here. Try to get this added. All right. Boom. Perfect. So I want to go ahead and share this right here to you guys. Let me see if I have this added. Uh, let's see. Um, trying to see. Perfect. So I got this right here. Um, let's see. So we got, yeah, so this is pretty much my first trade right here. So, um, you guys should be able to see my screen here right now. Let me just make sure. All right. Perfect. You guys are able to see. So if you guys take a look, this is pretty much my first trade right here. So, um, hold on. One second. I think I accidentally did something wrong. Stop sharing. One second. All right, you guys should be able to see my entire screen now, correct? Everyone can see. Just want to make sure. All right. So if you're looking here, so this was my first, this was one of my first ever trades. So this was actually like October 4th, 2018. So this was one of my first ever options trades. Um, you know, it wasn't a lot of money, but like what was my mindset and what was I really curious about? So for me, I, I was interested to, you know, just overall see how the Greeks worked. You know, as the stock price went up or down, you know, how much money would I be up or down? Like like those are questions that I had in the beginning. And I know those are a lot of times questions you guys have is like, hey, how do the Greeks actually work? Right. How does Delta work for me on the buy side and how does Theta work against me? Right. Or vice versa, if you're selling an option how does theta work for you and how does delta work against you? Like all these were things that, you know, I really had questions about. So, you know, for me, I was introduced to the buy side of options first. Like many of you guys are introduced to the buy side of options and people just kind of rush into it. Uh, for me, I, I focused on companies that I already was long one long-term invested in. So if I could give that queen a tip, she asked me, I said, yo, I would focus on companies that you're already long-term invested in. Because I looked at it, you know, in, in from this perspective and I said, hey, you know, overall, I'm of this perspective that, you know, if I'm going to be long term invested in this, I understand that, you know, it's not going to always go up. And I think one thing that people kind of like forget about is they always think that the stock price is going to go up. Right. They always think that the stock is going to go up there. The stock isn't going to go down. The stock isn't going to trade sideways. 
So I looked at, you know, trading as an opportunity to really garner and gain capital um, in the event that, you know, my stock price really goes against, you know, in the, in the short term. Right. So that was one thing that I looked at it from a standpoint. So for me, it was never about, you know, me making a bunch of money. It was just literally me being able to have more money to either one invest or either two uh, be able to hedge against my longer term position. Right. Uh, because obviously I know things are going to be volatile. So, you know, when I'm taking a look at this particular, you know, trade, you know, this was October 4th, uh, you know, pretty much 2018 that, you know, I took this screenshot. So here's, um, you know, one of the mistakes that I think a lot of new traders are making, um, you know, this being one of my first trades, me not understanding completely the Greeks, you know, I was buying an option um, at the time that was getting ready to expire within the same week, right? If you see that this screenshot was taken, October 4th, 2018. Um, and then obviously uh, the expiration date was 10-5, which was pretty much the next day. So, you know, what I tell people is, is that, you know, I was never really a weekly options trader, but in the beginning, you know, I was just trying things. I wanted to see what worked, what didn't work. Like overall, you have to actually put some, put some sweat of equity out there to understand how it works. And I think a lot of times that people are, you know, paper trading in the beginning and paper trading is cool, but there's nothing like actually having your real capital at risk, right? Even if it's a hundred dollars, you're still able to see, you know, some, some dollars moving up and down. I think even a hundred dollars, $500, something small that isn't anything major, right? That you could actually just play around with to kind of get a, you know, a, a, a feel for to kind of see how this would work. Cause if you can manage one, you can manage two, you can manage three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 and so forth. Right. So that was really my mindset. So I knew if I could do it one time and I could scale that up to 10 options, then I could scale that up to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100. I knew I could do it. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of times that people are looking at the end process and aren't seeing, you know, what the journey really is about. So that would be kind of like my answer to, you know, the first thing that, the, you know, the queen asked, um, when is it OK to start trading options? I think overall it's not OK to start trading options until really you have a good understanding of the overall market. So you need to be versed in, you need to know what's happening. You know, I find it that people are in options trades, but they have no idea what economic report comes out at 8.30 that morning, or have no idea what economic report comes out, you know, at 10 a.m. So, you know, I just think it's, you know, super, super important that, you know, I highlight that. So that was one of the first questions that I got, um, you know, that I that I was kept seeing. And, um, you know, the queen reached out to me and she was like, hey, I would love for you to go over this next time. And I said, you know, we're going to do a whole episode just pretty on, pretty much on answering all the questions that I've gotten. And um, this is our open challenge. So, you know, anything that you guys want to talk about, you know, feel free to put into the chat um, because it may not be a question that I already have here on deck. And I want to cover it tonight. You know, that's what the purpose of tonight's episode is. So you are watching um, the Panthers open challenge, investing and trading in 2023. Uh, next week, we'll be back to having a special guest. And I'll announce that guest at the end of the show. You guys are definitely going to be very excited for that guest to come on. So um, we're moving on to the next topic here. So uh, the second question that I got, um, we talked a little bit, we kind of talked a little bit about the vocab um, in that first part. Um, that was a lot. People were like, hey, I don't even understand what this term means. And, you know, it's kind of super, super, super confusing. Um, the second question that I pretty much got from people was this, you know, people came to me and it was quite a few people in the DMs and even some people um, last week on the tour, you know, kept asking me saying, hey, you know, what overall is your your process like kind of in the mornings, 
um, the night before the weekends? Like, you know, what things are you doing to kind of get your mind wrapped around, you know, dealing with this market, uh, highly volatile, um, you know, going into things like how, how do you really plan things? Uh, so people seem uh, people seeing, you know, a couple different options that, you know, I was trading and, you know, different things I was putting out and wanted to know, hey, exactly. How did you come up with this thesis? How do you even come up with a thesis? Because a lot of people uh, see, you know, hey, you need to come up with a thesis. You need to come with a thesis. But people don't even understand what a thesis is. Right. So let's answer that. That was the question. So for me, what I would say is, uh, you know, overall, my process is like this. Right. Um, a lot of it is not news based, but a lot of it is economic based. Right. So in that, you know, there's going to be news. Right. So it's not just solely based upon news. But a lot of my trading and my preparation comes from economic reports. So my job as a trader, my job as an investor is to know at all times what's happening in the economy. That could be someone speaking in front of Congress from the Federal Reserve. Um, you know, that could be something happening overseas, you know, in the Australian markets or Chinese markets or even the European markets. So I kind of really started dialing in to just paying attention to everything, paying attention to the little details, the micro things. And what I find is, is that in the stock market, there's always inconsistencies. So what do I mean by that? Like nothing is perfect. So let, let's highlight that and really break that down. So there's, there's nothing in this world that is perfect and the stock market isn't perfect. So what I started to strive to understand was what ways can I really allow myself to put the odds in my favor? Because I really like trading when the odds are in my favor, obviously a lot more when they're not, right? So for me, how am I able to actually tell, hey, when the odds are in my favor versus when the odds are not? Um, and a lot of that goes back to the economic reports. So I like when there's economic reports. I like when there's earnings, right? Even right now, like earnings season, I love it. Not from the standpoint that I'm looking to play a bunch of earnings reports with options, but just from the standpoint that there's movement and volatility, right? Like even there's sometimes, and I'm going to drop this and you guys will probably pay attention, right? Uh, you guys have probably seen this. Like how many of you guys seen a couple of weeks back that JP Morgan dropped $6 on their earnings report, but when the market opened up, it ended up closing that day up about four to five bucks, right? And so what I mean by this is that I'm able to kind of, because of time, right? Because of experience, I've seen certain things happen over and over again, kind of like a cycle. So for me, it's like, I just tell people that I want to choose trades. I want to cho choose investments, um, you know, that really give me an edge, right? So I like to choose, I like to choose trades that give me an edge. And over time, you kind of see the same stuff happen every single quarter, right? You see the same stuff happen. Like for example, two to three weeks before any earnings season, usually 90% of the time, the market is probably going to go higher. Right now, whatever happens once those earnings start being reported, whether it's big tech um, in the banks, you know, that's, that's a different story. But heading into the reports, usually the market moves higher. So these are these are literally, you know, things that you just kind of learn over time, right? You just learn over time. And for me, it's like I, I put myself in a position to where I would study these inconsistencies, as I call them, like over and over. And I think one thing that I would one tip that I would give people is I would not what I would say is I would spend more time in the beginning watching, reading and not doing any type of trading like I think that was really the biggest thing that because it allowed me to see things kind of crystal clear because I wasn't into a whole bunch of stuff. I just kind of was able to observe and take notes and I was able to say, hmm, 
I seen this happen, you know, literally last earnings. So, and it's happening this earnings and then it happens the next one. Like there's a pattern here. So I encourage people to continue to write down these patterns of inconsistencies, things that you see over and over and over again consistently. And I think it's super, 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 super important. Right. So that's kind of like my mindset right there for people, you know. Um, yeah. So you got to write that stuff down, man. And you got to you got to study it. I would encourage, um, you know, one thing that I learned when I was actually in in, in high school, um, you know, I forgot I forgot exactly who told it to me. But I want to say it was someone it was an upperclassman that actually I do remember. Um, I was a freshman in high school and it was a 12th grader at the time. So he was a senior. He came to my freshman class and he spoke. You know, he said, hey, if you guys want to succeed in high school, be able to pass your tests, et cetera, do this. Right. He said, make sure you're reading your notes 10 minutes before you go to bed and the first 10 minutes when you wake up. So when I first wake up and when I go to bed, I'm reading something that's really giving me some instruction. A lot of times at night, you know, I'll be reading different things on foreign markets. Right. And I'll study these patterns and, and these trends. Right. And I have my different notes and I'm pretty much taking a look at all these different notes and I'm allowing myself to be able to see. Right. Um, you know, the inconsistency. So I would study this stuff and I would literally read it before I go to bed and then read it when I first wake up. So now it's just like second nature to me. Right. It's super, it's super, it's super second nature to me. Right. So now it's just kind of like a, a thumb drive that I've downloaded in my head. Right. To where now it's it's just kind of second nature and that's what it needs to kind of become right so i think it's super super important that you know i highlight that uh the studying how do you actually study right that was a question that i received um from a gentleman he asked me he said lawrence what things are you doing when it comes to you studying obviously everyone knows you can say hey i read this book i read that book blah 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 but okay cool that's kind of like surface level to me right and if you guys are following me drop a yes in the chat if reading this book and reading that book is like surface level to you, I want you to put yes in the chat. That's surface level to me, right? That's surface level. We're, we're not trying to be surface level. We're trying to be surgical, right? So, um, and I see I see someone, uh, shout out to Angel. What's going on, brother? Um, you know, I think it's super, super surface level, right? So I think personally what's better than obviously just reading all these books and watching all these YouTube videos and all these recorded stuff, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the biggest advice that I can give to, to that person, that question that I that I received is getting them hours in, getting those real reps in. There's nothing that, and that goes back to kind of the, one of the first points I made at the beginning of tonight was making sure, you know, that you're even, even the smallest reps matter, right? Even the smallest reps, even if I showed you guys, even a hundred dollars, right? Even a hundred dollars, the smallest reps matter. Because while you're actually going through those experiences, I think that is what really ties things in and makes it better and easier for you. Um, you know, people ask me, you know, when it comes to their brokerage account, how can they get more efficient in utilizing it? I think the most important thing with the brokerage account is just using it in general, playing around with it. Like, I'm going to be real with y'all. Like, when I first started investing, I didn't know what in trading, I didn't know what buy to open was. I didn't know what sell to close. I didn't know what none of that stuff was. That was like foreign language to me, right? But now it's second nature. But it, that that wasn't always the case. The point that I'm making is, is that I had to put in the time and actually the work. So instead of reading all the books and watching all the YouTube videos, I would spend more time actually going through your brokerage account, figuring out, utilizing, seeing how those different orders apply and work. I would I would encourage that. Right. I, I didn't know what buy to open was and sell to open and all that stuff. I didn't know in the beginning. Right. 
but it was important that I actually opened up the brokerage account and started to play with it. And I'm a, I'm gonna be honest with you. Most of the brokerage accounts that are out there, right? I would probably, I, I won't even say more. All they have some sort of tutorial, right? Some sort of tutorial or FAQs where they're gonna answer, uh, you know, to you. They're gonna answer to you guys you know, what specific order does what, right? So I think that's that's most important, right? But I also think that you playing around with the brokerage account, realizing, okay, how am I gonna use this account? Um, learning the difference between a cash and a margin account and the benefits and some of the, some of the advantages and disadvantages that it has, right? All of that is, you know, super, super, super duper important. So, you know, those are kind of some of the preliminary questions that I got. Um, you know, we're gonna a lot. Some people were a little bit uh, have kind of been a little bit more aggressive in the in the question asking, like, "Hey, yo, I want to know this. I want to know that." So, um, you know, I'm gonna put some stuff out there. So, you know, you guys continue to like this, share this. You know, add some people in here um, and start dropping some questions in the chat because towards probably the the latter part of this show, I'm gonna take the the questions from um, here live. Um, but the next question that I got was and. Um, <laughs> This question was very good. I, I laughed when I seen it because this is a question that, you know, I get a lot. This question I got was, hey, hey, Lawrence, uh, good, good. The, the person said, hey, Lawrence, good evening. I've noticed that Tesla recently has came down over the past months. It's came down, you know, from three hundred dollars um, all the way to a low of about one oh two. You know, currently when a person DM me, I believe is at one seventeen. They said, hey, it's at one seventeen. What are your thoughts on Tesla long term? Right. That was one of the questions that I got. So I'm going to give my thoughts. Right. Um, I think I was pretty clear that um, I was short Tesla. Definitely half two of 2022. Um, you know, I published it. Um, I pretty much put it out there every single week um, on my Instagram lives, my story, everything, my page, my feed. Um, if you guys follow me on tour, wherever I was telling you, hey. I'm expecting Tesla to, you know, come down here to 160, 180. And if we get below 160, you know, we could drop even as low to 87, right? Um, we didn't quite get to 87, which is cool, right? Um, we didn't quite get to 87, but we did hit 102. So, uh, you know, for me, I say that when it comes to Tesla, right, let's break down where the business is currently at. Let's put a couple of things out here. So Tesla most recently um, did drop the prices of their vehicles, which I thought was a very smart decision given the economic environment. Um, I definitely think that will spur, obviously, um, people purchasing Teslas. I mean, you're getting, you know, some of these Teslas, um, you know, super, super cheap now, you know, compared to what they were before. Um, and I just think that for me, man, when it comes to Tesla, Elon got distracted a lot with Twitter, right? He got distracted with Twitter in the short term, but also he used Tesla money to fund the Twitter deal. And here's the thing that I know as an investor, right? One thing we don't like is for you to take your eyes off the prizes as the CEO and the leader. And that's what Elon did. Whether people want to debate, um, you know, what he did, right? He took his eyes off the prize, man. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Elon became the wealthiest person in the world by far, right? On paper. We know there's people wealthier than him that ain't on paper, but that's a different conversation. But um, he's the wealthiest, he was the wealthiest person on paper, right? And what happened with Elon was, I, I personally believe that um, he was going to take some profits. So I, I was I was honestly confused 
as to why people were so upset. People were upset because they knew that he was going to take the money and utilize it for the Twitter acquisition. Now, I also would say that for for Elon, it's the distraction. People have the question marks of, bro, why? And sometimes, and I always tell this to people, Elon is really that person that, yes, he's super creative and we like him. But sometimes you just want Elon to shut his mouth. That's it. Sometimes you just want Elon to be quiet. He talks too much. He does too much. And sometimes when you run your mouth too much, you find yourself in trouble and you'll dig yourself into a hole. And I think that Elon digged himself into a hole in 2022, but I don't believe it was a hole that he couldn't get out of. Um, I also think that the stock was going to come down regardless, to be honest with you, even if he didn't acquire Twitter. Um, I, I will point to this. Tesla was one of the last stocks in the growth sector to actually come down. So if you take a look at it, you know, Tesla was still trading pretty nicely. Um, and it was actually year to date losses. If you look back to August, its year to date percentage loss was very similar to Apple and Microsoft at the time. It wasn't until all of this Twitter stuff really started to take form. That's what really destroyed Tesla stock towards the uh, last three, four months of the year. So for me, you know, when it comes to Tesla, guys, um, when you're looking at this company, you know, at 102, you're essentially getting Tesla at a P ratio of like 29, which is really crazy if you think about it, because this this stock notoriously has always been traded, you know, with a high P multiple. So for those that are newer, um, and that's gonna this is this is gonna answer another question that I got in. Someone asked me and said, Hey, Lawrence, can you break down PE? And I'll do that with Tesla here uh, right now, no problem, right? So what is price to earnings, right? So PE, you, every company has a price, but not every company has a positive EPS. So that's important to understand, right? And so when a company has a positive EPS, I tell people this, right? Um, that gives room for it to have actually a PE ratio. So you take the price and you divide it by the earnings. That EPS is usually tracked by what we call a TTM. So everyone take this note, TTM, which is trailing 12 months, right? So usually people use the TTM uh, for the trailing 12 months. Now, in, in the event that the company is not profitable, they'll have something which is called a forward PE. So where they expect the company to earn in the future, right? How much they're, where, where they expect the company to be earning, right? In the future, right? Maybe 2024, 2025, 2026. And that and they'll take the price. Right. And then they'll divide it by its future earnings. Um, and that's what gives you your forward P.E. Right. So in my opinion, you know, I look at it and I say, you know, from an investor standpoint, you know, you want to see Tesla um, or any tech company. Right. Any company usually having a P.E. ratio in between 50 to 30. That's the average that investors really like P.E. ratios to be. Doesn't mean that it can't be above 30. It can. Um, 40 is cool. 50 is cool. But once you start getting above 50 and 60, you know, that's where you start where, where that where that overvalued um, type name starts to get thrown on. And once you get over 100, um, I mean, yo, you're off to the races and 200, 300. And this is important for you guys to understand. I want everyone to write these notes, right? Notes for this. Right. Right. Uh, write it right down right now. Like because I think it's super important because in 2021 and 2020, you had a lot of companies that either A, did not even have an earnings, but had a high price. So even when they would end up having an earnings, you know, I believe that, you know, when you take a look at them having an earnings, they would they would still be super overvalued, right? The forward PE was high. So even though, even though they didn't have earnings right now, their forward PE was super high. But then also you had a lot of companies that did have earnings, but their price was so high that the earth that the, the P ratio was, you know, out of this world, 100, 200. 
right? And those were majority of your growth stocks. I'm going to be real with you. This is why companies like Wayfair, um, Shopify, uh, you take a look at Roku, Square, right? Uh, the new JP Morgan, right? We heard that a few times, right? We've seen Square, you know, got pummeled, right? And the reason that, and, and I'm going to go, and this is going to take me to my next question after, uh, that I received after this. A lot of those growth stocks, I'm going to be honest with you, um, a lot of those growth stocks were really, really, really hurt bad, right? In 2022, they got pummeled down 60, 70, 80, 90, some even 90%. Um, and the reason behind that is because their price to earnings was just through the roof. It just didn't make sense. So for you as a investor, I want you to take a look at it like this, the PE ratio, right? Um, let's use let's Let's use this method, right? So you know that this item cost you $300, right? Right. This item costs you $300. That's the price that you know is worth, right? You're willing to maybe pay $350 for it, but you're not willing to pay $500 for it. We're going to do this. You see it at $500. It's, you're not buying it. You're willing to pay $350. You know it's worth $300, but you're willing to pay $350. But at $500, you're just not buying it. And then at $250 or $225, you know that that price is like a steal. So you're like, yo, I'm snatching this thing right off the shelf, right? So the thing is at 300, you're like, okay, cool. That's the price I know it's worth. At 350, you're like, okay, I'll bite the $50. But at 500, you're not biting anything. But at 225, 250, you're like, yo, let me get this before, you know, it goes up to 300, 350. I don't want, I want to get it now. So that's how investor investing and investors look at companies. They want to buy companies at wholesale prices, not retail. So they want to buy companies at a discount, right? They want to buy companies at a discount, right? And I see uh, see, see a comment that just came in. This is important, right? Um, even with uh, what we saw here from Amazon, their PE is still a, a equals 85, right? So uh, thank you for that, Queen. Right here, this is super important. So when people ask me, well, you know, Lawrence, well, why did my stocks go down? You know, you know, why did this happen? Like, can you really break it down for me? Easy, easy. P ratios were extremely high. And there was a lot of companies that, like I said, that were in the growth space, you know, that were not exempt from this, right? So what's ways, right, that you can actually bring your P ratio number down? So let's use Amazon. Since Amazon was brought up, it has a P ratio of 85. What Amazon can do actually, because we're, we're calculating the P ratio from the earnings from the TTM, which is the trailing 12 months. So that how many quarters are in a year? You have four quarters. So that means four earnings report. So pretty much the last four earnings reports decide uh, the TTM, the trailing 12 months, right? For that, er for that earnings. So what can Amazon do? So if Amazon increases their earnings, what you think happens to the P ratio? P ratio goes down. If the PE ratio goes down, people believe, well, okay, this company is earning more and the PE ratio is coming down. What happens is that people are more uh, looking at, okay, let me go ahead and, and buy this company, right? Because they're saying, hey, it's coming down to a fair value. They want to buy companies at fair value, right? Wholesale prices, not retail. But let me take you back into 2022 as to what happened. So let's use Snapchat. You guys know I hate Snapchat, right? Snapchat's a garbage company, in my opinion, my take on it, right? Went from $10 to $80. So let's talk about what happened with Snapchat, right? And when you take a look at Snapchat, it's pretty simple, right? So Snapchat was making a certain amount of money, right? Let's break this down. Snapchat was making a certain amount of money in 2021. Their earnings was at this level, right? They were earning $10 EPS TTM. But then actually what we saw from Snapchat was we saw them decrease, right? So this is just a hypothetical, right? So they had a $10 EPS, 
But then they actually came down here and they dropped down and that EPS dropped to only $5, right? TTM for that year. What does that mean? Well, that now means that Amazon, excuse me, that Snapchat's you know, earnings have declined 50%. So what happens to the price to earnings ratio? It's going to go up, right? Because that number, right, that the stock price is at, if it's still the same, right? If it's still the same, right? If that number from the stock price is still the same and you go ahead and you divide it by five, well, now the P ratio is going to be looking a lot different. So a company should always strive to increase their earnings year over year, not just because it makes investors happy, but it also keeps the P ratio at a, at a healthy point. Now, the reason why a lot of times these tech companies specifically have higher P ratios and, uh, and are always kind of considered like overvalued is because these tech companies spend a lot of money on research and development. And so this is where the Federal Reserve ties into it, right? Because the, the person asked me, said, Lawrence, you talk about the Federal Reserve a lot and how it ties into this stuff, but I just don't get it. So let's break it down. Well, if the Federal Reserve raised interest rates, right, and the cost of borrowing capital increased, but then also the cost of business increased, but then you're not meeting the same earnings that you were a year ago. So now you're dealing with a, another issue. Your debt is increasing, your earnings are decreasing, and your PE ratio is increasing. So you have some issues now as a company because now investors are taking a look and saying, well, you have less cash on hand, you have more debt, your earnings aren't increasing. I'm not trying to be invested in a company that's moving backwards. I like to be invested in companies that move forward. So that's the mindset of, of an investor. So investors are always looking for yield, and they're looking for something called ROE. Everyone write this down, return on equity. So when we talk about here, you know, investing in companies that are profitable, there's a reason why I say this, right? You want to invest in companies that are profitable because, you know, as your job, your job as an investor, your job, your, your, I wouldn't even say your job. The reason you're investing is because you want a return on the equity that you actually invest in the company. Because I want people to understand when you invest your, your hard-earned dollars into the company, right? You take the money from your savings and your checking account and you put it into the brokerage account and you buy XYZ ticker. You're essentially saying, hey, and we'll use, we'll use Elon Musk, we'll use Tesla. When you buy Tesla stock, you're essentially saying, hey, I believe that you are better and your management team, I believe that you're better able to manage and grow my money and I want to invest in your company because I believe that I will get a greater yield by investing in your company than holding on to the cash myself and doing whatever with it. That's what you're saying, right? So that's, you want to treat this like, I want people to understand these companies work for you. When you buy shares of these companies, these companies work for you. I want people to understand and get that. It's not the other way around. These companies work for you. They have an obligation, right? To be able to build their business enough to be able to return equity to shareholders. People ask, well, you know, why does everyone love Apple so much? Go check out Apple's return on equity and you'll see that it's over 100%, right? So Apple has historically been generating cash, you know, not just for themselves as a company, but for investors. People love the amount of cash that Apple has, the amount of return on equity they generate, right? Versus you take a look at a company like DraftKings, which I think is, you know, a great idea, sports betting, different things, right? Um, but I think Dra DraftKings is hot garbage, just like Snapchat, right? From a financial standpoint where they're at and uh, from a leadership standpoint, I, I think that these are two companies that are hot garbage, but that's my take on it, right? Um, and the stock, price is the stock price reflects my take as well over the past year. And I said this both on, on both of these companies, right? I said, hey, at Snapchat at $80, $70, $80, this company doesn't make sense at this valuation. 
um, DraftKings at 55, 60 bucks. There was people telling people to buy leap options on DraftKings and I thought they were crazy. Both of these companies are, are, are companies that have negative return on equity. So they're not returning money to their shareholders. So that's another important thing to think about whenever you think about investing in individual companies, ask yourself, Go take a look, right? Um, go take a look and say, hey, you know, what is the return on equity? Super, 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 super duper important. So, you know, I wanted to share those thoughts. Um, you know, definitely uh, go ahead and drop um, some drop some questions in here. I want to make sure, um, you know, I get some of you guys questions that are here on live. Um, that was majority of the questions that I pretty much had received over the past, I probably say three, 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 four weeks that you know kind of stood out to me. Um, if you send me a question that I didn't answer it, uh, no issue. I'll probably be answered in a later show. Um, you know, kind of my thought process here uh, as we get some questions that roll into the chat, uh, give you guys some updates. So tomorrow we have Microsoft earnings. Right. Um, and I actually think I do have um, something actually pulled up um, here. It's here. Someone said you uh, saying so you saying Bolt claims 12 million vanished from his investment accounts. What are your thoughts on how this could have been prevented? So I was unaware, um, you know, what happened with Usain Bolt. So I can't, I necessarily really can't speak on that, um, you know, right now. Um, so I was, I was necessarily unaware of what happened uh, with Usain Bolt. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that happened, whether, whether it was, um, you know, different hackers, um, you know, that came in, I'm not sure exactly what happened. But uh, I always tell people to keep your two-factor authentication on. I think that's super important. I'm not sure to the ideal of you know what happened, but um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my thought process on that. Um, you know, super super unfortunate. Um, you know that that happened. Um, you know things things happen, man. Um, things happen. That's why I always say you know protect yourself, keep your, keep your security tight, um, do what you can do. So, um, yeah, so I was actually looking at this a little bit early on my iPad, Microsoft and OpenAI extend this partnership. So I wanted to make an address here. Right. Um, and, and the reason why I brought this into the fold for me talking about Microsoft earnings um, is, you know, it's very unfortunate. Anytime people get sent home um, from work, fired, laid off, like that's never an exciting thing. And that's never anything that should be celebrated. Let me make that very, very clear. Um, you know, I think it's super, super duper important that, you know, people, uh, you know, are compassionate for that. So let me highlight uh, this by saying that first. I think it's super unfortunate, um, you know, with where we're at with open AI, with open AI and Microsoft, you know, partnership uh, where you kind of seen 10 billion dropped in last week, but then all of a sudden people get sent home the next week. I think that's super unfortunate, but here we are, right? Uh, Microsoft and open AI multi-billion dollar partnership. And this is something that I've been speaking on before. Um, and we're going to have an episode next week. We're going to be bringing in somebody um, and I'll announce his name at the end of the show. Some people already know him. This guy is super intellectual and he's been been in a lot of this this world for a long period of time so i wanted to bring him on i'm a good friend of mine but microsoft and open ai extended partnership for me it's like it just makes sense right um the way you see the world moving automation is everything everything is becoming automation at a super fast pace Everything is online. Everything is digital. A lot of that has to do with, you know, obviously COVID, right? COVID was a, was the spark for that, for, you know, people have, having to pivot online, work from home, like everything digital online 
you know, really just, I mean, it was already there, but it just, it went 10, 10 times faster, right? So when it comes to, you know, AI, open AI and, and, and Microsoft, I think this will definitely be something that's talked about, obviously, tomorrow at this earnings call, probably around um, about 5, 5.30 p.m. EST, 6 p.m. EST. Uh, the earnings call will be on tap and, and live. So, you know, I'll be listening in. I encourage you guys to listen in as well. Um, when we take a look at Microsoft, let's let's actually step here to the to the technicals and the charts. Um, let's take a look. MSFT. Let's take a look at Microsoft here. So I'll give you guys kind of my thoughts. Um, I gave you guys my thoughts on Netflix last week. Um, shout out. I was getting a lot of DMs today. Um, my, uh, Netflix cracked right above that 341 and it ran It ran 20 points. So shout out to those people that executed on that. I'm um, seeing a lot of people making some money off those calls today. So shout out to you guys on that. Um, let's see here. You know, you actually got uh, Microsoft right here right now, kind of cracking a little bit above this 242. Um, there's room, in my opinion, I don't think it goes any higher than 265, um, you know, office earnings report. Um, and I also don't think it goes any lower than 220. So um, similar to uh, what we saw here with Netflix, uh, it's pretty much, you know, $20 each way. Um, historically, I want to give you guys some context to what Microsoft has done. And this is why I'm taking notes. Um, it's super, super important in studying these notes, right? Um, the last few earnings reports from Microsoft, um, both ways they've kind of killed options. So I want to talk about that. They've kind of theta burned um, all, all both ways, right? So the puts and calls ended up both being losers. The only calls that were kind of winners last time was kind of like in the money options. The out of the money options were still kind of flat. But um, if you take a look at the past couple of earnings reports for, for Microsoft, um, it's been super, super choppy after hours where you know, Microsoft will either drop down initially off the numbers and then end up being up $10, $15 after hours, right? So to drop like 10 to 15 and then it'll make its way up being up 10 to 15, you know, after hours after the press conference. So um, Azure Cloud Growth, uh, Azure, um, some people may pronounce it differently. Azure, I call it Azure Cloud Growth. Um, you know, seen a little bit of uh, seen a little bit of slowing last quarter um, in Q3 of 2022. Um, but it was still a little, uh, it was seen a little, still saw growth year over year, uh, but did see some, some slowdown growth compared to Q2 uh, of that year, 2022. So I'm excited to see where Microsoft is at. I think they'll definitely address, obviously, the, the, the cat uh, that was in the bag, the, the layoffs and the amount of people that was sent home. And I don't think that's it, man. I'm going to be real with you. I don't think the amount of people that they sent home stops where it is. Um, you know, I think there will be more people sent home. And, you know, it just seems as if every single day I'm getting DMs and messages about people being sent home and, and laid off. Um, I'm, you know, I'm getting the notifications from Walter Bloomberg. I seen Wayfair last week. I seen Spotify, I believe it was today. Like it's so it, all this stuff. I'm just taking notes. And, um, you know, our good friends, Jess and Tiara, uh, we were, I was talking in our in our group chat today and I said, yo, again, more layoffs, right? Like it just doesn't stop. And we already had about 60,000 tech layoffs already this year. And it's only been 20 days, whereas we only had 150,000 in total last year, right? That's what that were reported. So I'm looking at that and I'm just saying, yo, how, we already hit basically 60,000 in 20 days, right? So, you know, you do the math on that. We're definitely already set to outpace that. So I think, you know, for me, man, um, you know, it's, it's super imperative 
uh, that job secure that, you know, a lot of people's jobs are, you know, on the line right now. And I think it's important to be grateful for what you have, right. For me to mention that. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts with Microsoft here, y'all. Um, you know, it looks like it might try to trend upward. Uh, if it gets above two, like I said, tomorrow, tomorrow we'll have to see, obviously, you know, the pre earnings type thing, the futures are kind of flat right now. Just check them out. So we'll see kind of where things are at, you know, with Microsoft, but definitely wanted to mention that. Now I want to get to the nitty gritty, man. Um, I know a lot of people have asked me uh, questions. They've threw this question at me. You know, what's your take on the ARK ETF? You know, I get asked that question a lot, actually. And, you know, my kind of take on the ARK ETF, the innovation ETF is, man, I mean, from a risk to reward standpoint, it's looking very delicious here. And let's actually break down the ARK ETF and my thoughts on it. So for one, it came back into a demand zone. And I told you guys this at the end of 2022, that um, it was coming here, right here to 30. And 30 would obviously be a tough level to break because of price action from previous times, right? This point was also the bottom in 2020. Um, and this was once an important resistance level dating all the way back to 2017, August 2017, right? And it seems like such a long time ago, but I remember um looking at arc even you know me this was the summer of me just graduating um you know high school going to college i remember that and um august hold on yep august 17th monday actually monday august 14th was actually my first day of college so i remember actually looking at arc back then and i remember i was like yo when i get my refund check i got something for it so uh you know I looked at it and I said, um, you know, when it came to ARC, right, this was an, a significant level right here, right now. Now, I want people to observe something. We mentioned a stock earlier, uh, which I, I, I think Block Incorporated is 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 okay. It's it's decent. Um, it's decent. I think it's okay. Um, I don't think it's trash as uh, DraftKings and, and Snapchat, but I definitely don't think this is a five-star company. Uh, but I definitely think it's a mid-level exception. So, you know, what do I mean by that? If you notice, as I just went from square uh, all the way, let's go back here to ARK, right? A-R-K-K -K is the ticker for ARK. What's the difference between this chart? I'll wait. What's the difference between ARK and Square's chart? Hmm, there is no difference. Thank you for answering that. There is no difference between this chart. So notice as like, if you take a look at Square, it's already up 60% from its lows. So if you're taking a look at, square right and this is just one of the few tickers that are actually in art and we actually have the the etf holdings which are here square is actually the number five ticker here number five so my job i want to take a look and say okay well we took a look at square let's take a look at roku and then we'll look at zoom so we see similar here with right similar here with roku right you guys already know my story about roku um, you know, I bought it originally here at you know 30 40 dollars right here right and we saw Roku you know, made it all the way to becoming a $500 company. And Roku was one of those names to people that was taking notes before. Roku was the name that the stock price went up to 500, but the company was not earning enough money to keep this PE ratio down. So Roku, when it was a $480 stock, the PE ratio was like 320, which is ridiculous. 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 I'm going to tell you this right now. Ridiculous, right? So when you take a look here, you know, currently, let's kind of zoom in and, and get an idea. So it hit 38, right? That was the low here, about 38, but it's rallied to back to about 54. So kind of similar right there 
you know, with um, Square, where it's about, you know, 50, 60%, you know, from off of its low. So let's take a look at Zoom. So Zoom, okay, hits 63, it's currently at uh, 71. But one thing that you'll notice, obviously, Zoom has been traded less time than Square and Roku and obviously the ARK ETF, but Zoom is high um, actually in this particular ETF. So if you're taking a look at the chart, I mean, Zoom was a $600 stock almost. And notice the trend here, y'all. All of these stocks are down for what? Their PE ratios were through the roof. These companies' stock prices went from zero to hero. I know we had an episode with TC and we talked about going zero to hero. That's what these stocks did, man. You go from, I, I want people to think about this for a second. This stock went from $50 to $600 during the pandemic. And then its, it's, it's earnings and its, and its net income fell. Right. So what would you think would happen? What what do you think would happen? Right. To these companies. Right. These companies are going to are going to pull back and they're going to pull back so hard and significantly, man. So, you know, the ARK ETF for me is like this. Right. Let's let's break it down. Right. These are the holdings of the ARK ETF. Right. We see this here. So this is the holdings. You got exact sciences corporation, Zoom. You got Roku, Tesla, Square, UPath. Shopify, Teladoc, Coinbase Global, CRISPR Therapeutics, Twilo Incorporated, Beam Therapeutics, Unity Software, and Teletherapeutics, uh, and then DraftKings. Now, let me just make something very clear. Probably the only company I would own, there's probably only two companies that I'd be comfortable to own at this, excuse me, three companies that I'd be comfortable to own individually. Um, and the only three companies that I'd be comfortable to own, my personal opinion, right, would be Square, Tesla, and Shopify. And a minimal amount of Square and a minimal amount of Shopify. And I'm willing to own Tesla outright at this current price. The rest of these companies, and, and you see I got my cursor on DraftKings. I already told you DraftKings, in my opinion, is straight hot garbage. And I stand on that. Um, I wouldn't touch DraftKings with a 10-put pole if it was the last stock on earth. So let me just make that very clear. I wouldn't own this thing if it was the last stock on earth. Now, there are some other things that I'm interested in, but I I don't want to own long term individually, right? And I actually left one out. I would own Coinbase as well individually, which I do. Full disclosure, I own Coinbase long term individually. I own Shopify long term individually, and I own Block, and I also own Tesla individually. The smallest out of all four of those is Block. The third is Shopify. Second is Coinbase, and then obviously number one is Tesla. So I own all four of those stocks individually. I do not own Roku, I don't own Zoom, and I do not own any of the rest of these companies individually, but I do own the ARK ETF, and I'm going to tell you here why. And let me tell you how I own it. I only own it with shares, and I want to make this very clear because I think a lot of times people get really confused with what leap options are for and how to utilize leap options, right? I think leap, I think leap options, in my opinion, leap options are good when utilized right. I think a lot of people are looking for markets to always run up, and that's not how markets move. There's a lot of times that markets sit sideways and do nothing. And if you take a look at some of these companies, right? Even if they weren't going down, some of these companies over the past six months haven't done anything. So when it comes to buying a year out leap or a year and a half out leap or two years out leap, I think that for me, I, I would tell people this here right now. I think that these companies, you know, I like companies like Twilo. I like companies like UPath. I even like companies like Exact Science. But I don't want to own these companies individually. I'm willing to actually own this ETF because if I buy the ARK ETF, I'm going to get 10% of that in exact sciences. I like Teladoc. I think Teladoc has some room to grow. 
but I don't want to own Teladoc individually long-term. And the reason why I'm highlighting the names that I like, but I'm like, hey, I don't want to own it long-term. Like I like Roku. I just don't want to own it long-term again, right? Beam Therapeutics and Unity Software. I like them. Unity Software, I actually like. And Unity Software is, I think, is going to end up being a major player in a future metaverse. Maybe not the metaverse right now, but the the, the future metaverse. I think Unity Software will really be a company that'll be big in that space. I'm just not comfortable to own it outright. Could that change? Maybe down the line, but right now I'm not comfortable to own it. I would say that the ARK ETF is a great way to passively get into all of these stocks without you saying, well, let me take my talents to Unity, Beam, Twilo, CRISPR, because here's the thing. Let's say you invest in CRISPR, Twilo, Beam, and Unity. And let's say CRISPR, Twilo, and Beam all, all go to zero, which could happen, right? And let's say Unity is the only one that stays afloat. But let's say the rest of these companies, Shopify, UPath, Block, Tesla, Roku, Zoom, Exact Sciences, let's say all of those companies go up. You see, the problem is, is that being a stock picker is super hard. And I think that people discount that. I'm I'm of the belief that it's a lot easier for people just to be index fund investors, right? Find sectors that you like and own the index funds in that sector. Because being an individual stock picker, you know, it's extremely, extremely difficult. And I'm not the person to tell people, yo, you need to be this stock picker. You need to do this. Like, that's never been me. Never been me. So I got my start by being an individual, you know, um, you know, investor in just index funds, right? Me just investing in index funds and then branching out to investing in individual companies. So I encourage you guys to, you know, look at things, you know, like the ARK ETF, right? If you're someone that's interested in tech and disruptive tech, because all of this stuff is disruptive. I'm going to tell you this right now. Some of this stuff is going to work. Not all of it is going to work. So the point that I'm trying to make is you don't want to be exposed to all of this stuff individually. And then certain things go left. I would rather just go the ETF route and I would only buy shares. Let me preface this. I do not buy options on ETFs, right? ETFs move entirely too slow. Um, I would probably, I would, I won't say probably, I would never buy a leap option on an ETF like this. It's extremely risky. It comes with a lot of risk. Could it pay off if it works out well? Yeah. But if it doesn't, um, you'll be seeing negative 90 and negative 99%, you know, on those options. And I know you guys don't want to see that. So I encourage you guys to listen up. You know, I would only buy shares. And the reason for my, and this is going to lead me to my next question is, and I, and I got this question from you guys as well too. Why do you only, why a lot of times are you not in favor of leap options? And I'll explain that here now. Let's use, let's use Microsoft. And it's nothing really against leap options. I think leap options can be utilized in the right fashion. Don't get it twisted. I would just rather own the equity long term because let's just break this down, right? Because I know the thing is, is that this side of the chart can be very, what I would say is this side of this part of the chart right here from 2013 to 2020 can be very kind of misleading, right? The market went on a crazy run. Quantitative easing was at a high. So we saw liquidity and we're going to be going ot tonight man we're in overtime right so and shout out to all the people that's tapped in here uh shout out to my lady kim shout out to baby ivy shout out to cammy shout out to the whole come up series man shout out to ivan lee shout out to santino shout out to jamil shout out to larissa shout out to dr butler just giving some shout outs and i i see we got our boy mark monroe in the house shout out to mark 
But when you take a look at this, I want to break this down, right? This is very misleading. From 20, 2013 all the way here to 2021, Microsoft went from 30 bucks to 350 hitting a high. I get it. I know what can happen here. But the thing is, so many people are focused on this, but they forget that there was some, some times where the stock was doing nothing. From 2000 to 2013, Microsoft did jack nothing. So here's my reason why I don't like leaps, right? Okay, you were optimistic that the stock was going to be going up, you know, 200, 300%. So you're buying leaps and thinking it's going to work for you. Okay, you know, it went up here to 35. So you might, depending on where, if you sold, you may have made money or not. But guess what? You at 35, you said, oh man, this thing is going to keep going and it didn't it kept going it came right back down right that was 01 so you said all right i'm gonna test this leap stuff out again you bought another leap for 2002 you said hey the stock is gonna do this and gonna go up well actually the stock came down so you didn't make any money your leap once again expired worthless then you said, hey, I'm going to buy the 2003 and 2004 leap calls. Well, 2003 and 2004 came and your stock did nothing. So you lost your money again. So you said, okay, I'm going to do this thing again. You said, hey, 2005, I'm going to buy more leap calls. And guess what? 2005, the stock actually came down again. So you lost your money again. Now you're saying, hey, I'm going to do it again, right? Now, guess what? If you look at it, it didn't work again. Stock came down, but now you bought the leap call again. It actually kind of worked out for you because Microsoft did at this point double, right? So it worked out for you, but there was years right here. You had about four or five years where it didn't work. So I look at it this way. Imagine you owning the equity for this four or five years. So you're just 20, 20 bucks, 20 bucks in 2001, 2002. You're buying a few shares every week. Just keep buying shares, 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 keep buying shares. So you've accumulated, we'll just say 2,000 shares of Microsoft, right? And the stock goes up as it did here in 2007. Um, and But you were selling options the whole time. Let me make that very clear. So you were collecting some passive income. I'm personally an option seller. I like to own the equity outright to be able to sell options against my position. I would rather do that than buy a leap option. So what am I saying to you? Owning the equity is more important than owning the option because at the end of the day, the option contract is going to expire, right? And it could expire worthless if the stock does nothing. But if the stock is $25 in 2002 and it's $25 in 2011, it's $25. Bottom line, it's $25, right? So maybe inflation comes in, blah, blah, blah. We could factor all that stuff in. Regardless, it's $25. So the point that I'm trying to make to you guys is here. Some people is looking at, okay, well, from 2013, you saw Microsoft do this. This was a crazy run. And some people think that majority of people who bought here made all the money. No, the people who made the money were people that were buying an O2, O3, O4, O5, O6, O7, O8, O9, O10, O11, O12. Those are the people that were making all this money. And I want people to also, while they're looking at this chart, to think about something real quick, right? A lot of people are looking at things, in my, in my opinion, the wrong way. A lot of people will say, well, man, the markets had a bad year last year. And my kind of take on it is this. I think the markets didn't have a bad year last year, right? You might be looking at the Nasdaq and saying, well, Lawrence, what do you mean? The, the market was down 30%. That was a bad year. I think it depends on who you're asking that question. Was it a bad year is going to determine the answer. Because if you're asking someone who bought Microsoft at 30 bucks and they sold it at 300, if last year was a bad year, they're going to tell you it wasn't a bad year. They're going to say, hey, well, you know, shoot, I was in this thing for the past 15 years and shoot, this is my return. What does it take to be a long-term investor? Some people is out here playing. I'm going to be real. 
Being a long-term investor, it's not the sexiest thing. It's not the cutest thing. Being a long-term investor takes time. I tell people that all the time. Being a long-term investor, you have to have some patience. Patience really pays. And so for me, a long-term investor, you know, is someone, you know, that is going to be patient, is going to be disciplined, and is going to allow their money to work for them. And it's not going to always be cute. Stocks don't only go up, right? Stocks do not only go up. And there's something that's still glaring to me, um, you know, that I really want to pull out here for you guys, uh, because there's something that's just on this chart right now. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm saying, yo, if people think like, I, I get it, you know, I'm not saying that the markets can't recover. I'm the person that's bullish long-term, don't get it twisted, but I'll be remiss if I didn't point out just the little things that I can see just clear as day here, you know, right onto this chart, right? So let me pull this thing up real quick. Um, let's see, got my little book here. Thank you. You know, I, I see something clear as day and some people already know where I'm going with this, but it's super important that we highlight this. We got, um, and while this loads up, we got uh, 375 plus people tapping in here, man. You know, shout out to you guys showing up and showing out here tonight. We're in the overtime, man, overtime. You see, because an hour just isn't enough for this episode. I'm gonna be real with you. Um, it's a lot of game that needs to be given and a lot of things that we need to talk about. So this is our charting and technical analysis book by Fred McAllen. And, you know, this is what I, I, I call pretty much, you know, um, you know, one of the one of the best books out there when it comes to charting and technical analysis. So, you know, what I see from Microsoft is very simple. The accumulation phase, public participation phase and distribution. Right. Very simple. Not not hard. This is all I won't say all, but this is majority of what long term investing is. And each phase has its own particular part. So the accumulation phase um, is pretty much when, you know, it traded higher two times only to fall back again. Um, Charles Dow pretty much referred to this. You can see that the, after a sell off, after the market has been in decline for an extended period of time, price bottomed out. And this happens after a major market correction, such as a bear market. This is when the smart money enters the market and starts buying the discounted stocks, accumulating and positioning and preparation for the next events. The first stage of a new bull market is formed um, in the accumulation phase. To get you thinking market psychology, try to imagine after uh, a considerable sell-off, the buyers that step in to pick up the bargains are the pros. So those are the pros. Let's break that down. So let's break what down, what happened in 1995. I want you guys to go take a look. This is going to be your homework. Person that comes back next week and delivers the answer to me is going to get a prize. So the person has to come back next week. You need to tell me who said this. In 1995, there was a person that predicted everything that happened in the dot-com bubble, right? Said, hey, you know, quantity, uh, that, that the markets, you know, would be roaring. Um, you know, they said that we would be entering a bubble. They said that they could see a lot of company financials running into trouble. They, they, force, they pretty much gave insight as to what is going to happen. So you tell me who that person is. One of the people that predicted the dot-com bubble in 1995, and his name starts with an A, and I'll leave that there. You guys can come back next week and give me the answer. Um, so what you saw here was from 1995 to 1999, you saw exactly, 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 exactly what happened here, right? You saw that the markets went crazy, right? Tech went crazy, right? Microsoft, think about it, it went from five dollars to 60 bucks right so i mean that's that's a crazy run over five years but then we saw later thereafter we saw a few years of downtrend but then we saw some con consolidation so that takes it right there to the book y'all right there to the book the first stage of a new bull market is referred to as the accumulation phase right 
So we entered that accumulation phase for Microsoft all the way back here in early 2000. Pretty much, I was just a baby here, just a baby, right? And we saw for basically 13 years, this thing was in an accumulation phase. And then for another eight years, this thing was in a public participation phase, right? So that's where the public starts to literally participate, right? So the public starts to participate. That's what we saw here, right? So the public participation phase during this phase, let's really describe what this means. Earnings growth and economic data improve hmm. and the public begins to tiptoe back into the market as the economy and the related news improve more and more investors move back in and this sends stock prices higher. As you can see that in that previous chart, the market experiences a long-term advance while the primary trend moves higher with secondary trends, which are just small pullbacks. Therefore, an advancing bull market should last at least around three years before another bear market begins, right? So it gives you bear markets historically last 1.7 years, meaning that the market declines during that time. So it then takes another 1.5 years for the market to get back to break even results. Thus, if you begin buying in at the top and purchase all the way down, you could be losing money for several years before ever seeing a point where you broke even. And I know that this is going to help a lot of people because if you were buying when a SPY was at 480 and you were buying when all these companies were at all-time highs, number one question I get is, Lawrence, when is the market going back to all-time highs? For one, no one knows. I don't know. I'm not Houdini. I don't have any type of tricks that I could tell you that, but this should give you a solid, not saying an exact, but you got to understand that you are going to, you potentially are probably going to be down for, for some years, right? Anyone who comes out here and tells you the market's going back to all-time highs this year doesn't know, and it's just guessing. This is reality. So for me, when I take a look at this, right, you know, that's the public participation phase. Now the distribution phase is really one where this really makes a lot of sense. This is the third phase. This is the phase where this always seems to catch investors and traders unaware. And what is the, this will, once I say this, this will make sense to everyone. The number one story that you'll hear from most people who are investing right now over the past two years, they'll tell you they started doing it in 2020, right? They say, yeah, man, I started doing this in 2020, started doing this in 2020. And yeah, I, you know, I, I started doing it in 2020 and it makes sense. This is where people get taken advantage of. And this uh, point right here really makes it make it all make sense, right? It says, remember the smart money buyers who were accumulating during the accumulation phase, buying while there was blood in the streets. They are the ones selling in the distribution phase. So the investors and traders that are, are often caught unaware are the ones normally doing all the buying during the distribution phase, right? So the market stops making new highs and no longer has momentum to push higher. So it starts trading sideways and then it rolls over. That sounds a lot to me like 2022. Then it says volume dries up. I don't know if for you guys, but the market has been like the Sahara Desert. No one's been there. Volume has been super low. Then it talks about margin debt reaches highs. Hmm. What were we seeing at the end of last year, y'all? I remember vividly that there was margin calls that were happening on certain stocks to certain people. And there was a bunch of euphoria in the market where everyone, you could you could ride in an Uber and someone was telling you that they were a stock trader or a crypto investor, right? That's where I get scared, where I start hearing everyone talk about the markets. And I'll be real with you. And then 2020, 2021, everyone's asking, man, because everyone already knew. In 2017, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, 
new to this, I'm true to this. I've been involved in the markets. I've been trading. I've been doing this way before COVID, way before I was online, way like you can you can fact check all this stuff. I was teaching classes out of my dorm room at university. Uh, I was teaching at my university. Like it just is it's just there, man. So for me, it was like, yo, seeing a bunch of people come into this thing blindly and it was easy for the institutions to take advantage. You know, they put nice, shiny spacks in front of people's faces, nice, shiny new IPOs. When was the last time you guys heard about an IPO? Not to say that there haven't still been some. There has. But when was the last time that you've seen it, seen an IPO actually been talked about? Whereas in 2020 and 2021 and 20, even early on in 2022, it was like a new IPO was coming to the market. Everyone's like, yo, I can't wait for DoorDash, man. I can't wait for this, man. I can't wait for Airbnb. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for Coinbase. Coinbase was supposed to come in at $250 a share. It opened at 430 and it's never actually traded above its first day price. I want people to understand this stuff. That's manipulation. How does a stock never trade above its first day price? I want people to really think like, like sit, sit back and digest that for a second. Coinbase has never traded above its first day price. Coinbase opened at 430 and has never been back to 430. So I just tell people like this, man. When I take a look at where Microsoft is right now and where a lot of this market is, you take a look at this thing, the distribution phase. Microsoft spent a lot of time here in the accumulation and it spent a lot of time here in the public participation. And it's spent about a year and a half now almost within this distribution phase. Now, I'm not here to say that this thing is, is gonna fall to $100 or 80 bucks. What I'm just trying to get people to understand is, is that you have to be patient with your long-term investments, because if you're just buying on the way down, you might be buying something that may drop to 140, 160. It could. Like, I don't want to necessarily be the person to bear a bad news and someone that's just like super negative and stuff like that. You guys know I'm not that person, but I just, a lot of times have to be honest with people and have them really sit back and, and, you know, think about things like, you know, these, these type investments, man, you know, it really, what I would say, in my opinion, it really is going to uh, be about time, right? Because a lot of things are being taken out of the hands in the point, right? If someone bought it at $30 and they're selling it at 300, they're walking away with a gain, but someone buying it at 300 may not know exactly where they're buying. So not only where you buy, but it's also when you buy, how much you buy and how often you're doing it. So, you know, we hit OT tonight, man. Um, you know, this is a lot of game, a lot of questions that pretty much came in here tonight. I'm gonna stop sharing the screen. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys, like, you know, this, this episode could probably be here for about four hours, but we, we want to keep it tight here. So we had about 15 minutes of overtime. Um, so you guys are ready for me to announce next week's guest on the show. And if you enjoyed tonight's show and would like to see more of this, uh, drop a comment in the chat, like this video and share it with a, fan, a friend or family member. Um, but I definitely, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, questions, feel free after this show to send me some questions because, you know, we'll be doing an open challenge, um, you know, every so often. So maybe next time we do an open challenge, we can get to your question and insight. So, um, you know, we have uh, next up here uh, next week, we have our good brother, Dr. Ayanu. So some of you guys remember Dr. Ayanu from Clubhouse days. Um, Dr. Ayanu, he's been the he's been a person, you know, using, you know, AI. He's been talking about machine learning. 
it's a lot of things that he's been involved in, some things that he can speak speak on, some things that he can't. But next week, he's going to come here on the show Monday, 8 p.m. and talk about chat GPT, break it down. Um, he's going to really talk about AI, automation, machine learning, a lot of great stuff. So next week episode, I'm excited because my notepad is going to be out next week. So, you know, I'm appreciative of you guys here, man. Uh, we rock out and rock out hard every single Monday. So if you're new to this space, um, we have a show Monday here at 8 p.m. EST. And then we also have a show hosted by Lynn and Mark, you know, Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. EST. So we got you guys action packed and loaded. Um, and we'll continue to see you guys here in the future. Uh, you know, make sure you guys are hitting the, the subscribe button, the like button, and let's share this thing, man. We want to grow this thing as much as possible. Um, there will be some I'll be doing here this year. I'll be doing some live uh, Monday night take shows in different cities as well, too. Uh, so st stay tuned for that. So there will be an opportunity, you know, for you guys to meet me in person and actually get a chance to witness a show live where I will bring on a guest or two. So. Um, you know, I'm super, super appreciative of the attendance here tonight. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for you guys very much. So, you know, much love. Hopefully everybody has a great rest of their evening. You know, spend some time with the fam. And, yo, uh, let's wake up tomorrow and go get it. We got Microsoft. We got Tesla on Wednesday. So it's a lot of companies Boeing on Wednesday. So it's a lot of companies reporting, y'all. Um, so really just keep your head on a swivel. Or go out here and eat. And um, let's get it, man. So this was another episode of Monday Night Take. And look forward to seeing you guys next week, 8 p.m. EST on Monday Night Take. So peace. Thank y'all. That's 100.